Welcome to the My Rules Are Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay. Today, two things. I've received a couple of bits of correspondence through the week from long-time correspondent, occasional participant, Barney Dicker. Barney, well, the most recent piece of correspondence indicated that he hadn't yet had a chance to film the unboxing video. I forgot when Barney films videos, he has a cast of thousands. He has a, a crew that he films with. What a luxury. Child labor. Anyway. So Barney said that, unfortunately, at least one of the members of his crew had been unwell this week. So the anticipation associated with the unboxing video, perhaps disproportionate to the actual unboxing video. But earlier this week, I received correspondence from Barney Dicker indicating that I should purchase and review the Osprey Games game Undaunted. And I had a wonderful experience where I put Undaunted into YouTube and I received back 20 videos made by people who have been paid by Osprey Games to create videos for the game Undaunted. So I watched a couple of these videos before I corresponded with Barney, and it indicated, well, there were a series of things with Undaunted. The first is that it is a card and token based game. There are no miniatures. And it contains a couple of mechanics that are actually quite familiar to me because when my sister-in-law was in town, she brought a card game which had a couple of these mechanics in the card game. Now, this was just a regular card game. Was it a war game card game or really any... I don't know, it wasn't like competitive like a war game, but it had a couple of these mechanics in it. So when I saw the mechanics through Undaunted, I thought, hmm, these are topical mechanics that, you know, game designers the world over are adding to their games. But I've come to a greater realisation, and that is, in part through going through my podcasting room, I cannot actually foresee a time where I buy any new rules going forward. Now, this might seem to be rather strange, but I'm actually feeling very much like I've reached my critical limit of games and rules. And yes, there is the potential out there for some special game to find its way into my life in the future. But quite frankly, I have enough games and I have enough rules already. And the notion that there would be any new mechanics that would come through something that I pay for, it's kind of antithetical to this podcast and also really antithetical to my life. So through Barney's correspondence, I came to a realization that maybe my rules purchasing days are over. And this is in part realizing that for many years now, I have had a rules purchasing addiction. I've actively gone above and beyond to purchase rules that I have neither the means nor the motive to play. And I think what I found fascinating through this period, through this lockdown period, going through my podcasting room, is just the realization that these addictive hoarding elements to my life that have represented themselves in me buying games rules, reading games rules, and then putting them on the shelf. This shouldn't really be the mechanism going forward. In fact, realistically, I've come to the conclusion that Goodwill, our local charity, has probably shelves full of games rules that I have at one stage purchased and then donated. I came to this realization because the, the process of donating stuff to charity used to be maybe 15 minutes at most. You'd get in the car, you'd pull up next to one of these long haul trailers that the charities had, you'd put your stuff in boxes. You'd get a receipt and you'd go on. Now through, I don't even know what one calls it, partial unlockdown, you can now queue for about two hours to have exactly the same experience, which we have done once. 
And in doing this, I realized that the whole mechanism for me purchasing reading rules and then donating rules, once you have that thing perturbed, you realize quite quickly that maybe you just need to address this part of your character. So apologies to Barney Dicker if I seemed a little offhand. At, at the time, it occurred to me, particularly because I've recorded podcasts repeatedly about my inability to be a player in a game and thus having to run games. I don't know. Anyway, that piece of correspondence with Barney Dicker, I think, has been narrated enough. I did want to give a micro lead pile update before I continued on to talk about the main thing that I wanted to discuss through this particular podcast. So... The lead pile is in three separate locations currently. Oh, actually, technically, I still have a small portion of it here. I have about two figure cases. When he says this again, two figure cases if I don't count the Civil War, American Civil War figures that I'm never going to get painted. And you would think I'd sent to Connorsite's Barn, but actually, that was everything prior to the American Civil War figures. Anyway, if you count the American Civil War figures, I have maybe three and a half figure cases worth of figures here, of which probably a third of them will end up being sent to probably Rochi Rochford in the UK. Anyway, so Rochi Rochford has about, mm, what would one say, 20 pounds worth of miniatures, like physical weight, maybe 26 pounds. I don't know how many miniatures he has. He's painted a third of the goblins that I sent him in one horde. I sent him... I think 90 goblins, he's painted roughly a third of them. He's painted all the Steel Legion that I sent him, and probably 30 initial Kev Adams goblins and space orcs and things that I had sent him a while back. Rochi has that thing, which is a vast majority of my lead pile. I then have some unknown number of figures in North Carolina, I thought a majority of my figures had been painted in North Carolina, but it was actually only half of a lot. All the World War II stuff that I had with that one guy, he painted. So that was about half the figures he had. So he has half again, which I think are all Citadel Lord of the Rings figures, some fantasy, some 40k, I don't know what I have there. But he has those to paint, which are currently, I don't know, being processed by his understudy. So I've got those in process. I don't even know where they are. Probably need to email that guy and work out what's going on. And then in Aptos, I have probably about 30 figures. Again, July was supposed to be the month that they were going to be painted. Um, we're now early into July. I probably owe the guy an email just to say, hey, what's going on with those? So trying to wrap up the painting in Aptos, trying to clear out the North Carolina stuff, and then I have a fully paid-for set with him. Which, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to get him. Probably Germans or something. Of the figures that are yet to be painted. I have some Valhalla Imperial Guard. I might get him. But I'm not really sure what will happen there. And then, hopefully once he's done, that would just have Rochi Rochford doing the rest of my figures over some period of time. He goes through ebbs and flows. He has other people who send him figures periodically. And he does mine in two separate qualities. He has a kind of tabletop ready quality and then he has a you know one figure takes two days quality which he does periodically for me for specific figures so that's the lead pile update what i wanted to talk about most today is the virtual just plain chaos game 
which will start next weekend. I'm recording Sunday. Next Saturday, the game will begin. And I have almost everything done for it. I have still to write up maybe three paragraphs per player associated with the background in the game. But I spent about three hours over the past two, three days. I've taken a couple of days off for the 4th of July. Anyway, I've spent a few hours peppered over the past few days getting stuff together for that game. And I think what's really interesting is just thinking, when I did the D&D game at work, I didn't really think about the amount of time that I put in in prep. Whereas with this, I'm putting in quite a bit of explicit time in prep. And I also did something rather curious. I went back and watched Russian Roulette, the Vice daily update documentary through the Russian-Ukrainian crisis, which started out in Crimea and then became, you know, the Donetsk breakaway states, for want of a better term. So that was to really get my mindset back into the most recent. I used to read and review Chechen conflict stuff to get my mind into the Just Plain Chaos format, but the Ukrainian-Russian conflict stuff lends itself also to that mindset. And it's about, I don't know how many hours it is. I want to say, I mean, it's more than 100 episodes. Each is five to ten minutes long. So it's a good, I don't know, there's at least eight hours worth of footage there. I would like to think there was probably more. Felt like 10 to 12 hours, actually, in watching. But I didn't do it in one session. And it is really some of the most interesting journalism and also kind of history on a knife edge footage. It's really very strange and captivating. There's a stage about three quarters, two thirds of the way through where you think the Ukrainians are going to reclaim the land. And it's all going to be over. And then within three days, the Russians just completely decimate the Ukrainian force, like completely go through with high energy explosive weapons and just take out all the Ukrainian forces. The, the sigh of the Ukrainians are going to succeed and then no, it's just all their burnt out vehicles. Just Russia. I mean, it's interesting because the downing of the Malaysian Airlines flight is about halfway through the conflict. So that's already an indication that Russia is moving in heavy weapons that would never be seen on the field of battle normally. But the high energy weapons that they move in, like I say, two thirds of the way through just to completely eliminate the Ukrainian forces is just astonishing to see in real time. And also, then you have the rise of the warlords in the various areas through the Donetsk Republic and other separatist areas. And you get to see that the warlords actually have different characteristics, different qualities, for want of a better term. There's one warlord who's part of the Malaysian Airlines downing, and he's actually the (laughs) most moderate of all the warlords, if that seems like a surreal thing to say out loud. It really is a very curious conflict, documented perfectly by Vice, in particular the movement where you think, oh, this isn't going to be a a high-casualty conflict, this is going to be sporadic fighting, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. So anyway, I've gone back to review that as a means of just getting my mind in the right mindset for the periods in the Just Plain Chaos rule system. There have been basically two substantial waves of conflict leading into when the game begins, and the game is at the start of the third wave of conflict. So it's interesting. It's interesting taking existing maps, putting over the 
kind of gameplay mechanics onto the map. So I've rewritten the rules to be based in yards rather than inches. So it's actually like a role-playing game as opposed to a miniature skirmish game. I've done a few bits and pieces like that. But the main thing is just setting the themes for the characters so that they can represent themselves in play, which I think is going to be the most interesting dynamic through the early phases of the game. It's just the characters identifying themselves, identifying the environment, getting to understand what they're doing in the environment. And because it's a very specific universe, because it's a very specific setting, I think it'll be quite interesting to see how the various players react to the setting and the things that they find through this particular environment. But the lead into this is a lot of background work on my part, just getting myself in the right mindset to play the game. I think I'm going to play a non-player character just to have a, a foot in the game, for want of a better term. So more recordings as this thing comes out. I've asked in an offhanded way if the players will let me video record it so I can put it up perhaps on YouTube or something like that. So we'll see how that comes together. I might just record it for my own record, for want of a better term. But yeah, we'll see how it pans out and no doubt future updates to follow. Tom Barbelay in San Jose, signing out.